Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, June 12th, 2019, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today, we are reading from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. We are on page 32, the second paragraph, A Man of 30, and we're reading that one paragraph only. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, the 12 Steps of OA is Chris G. The 12 Traditions of OA is Leslie W. And readers of the text are Ginger C., Carmela G., and Leon B. The share ID for yesterday, Tuesday, June 11, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting is 13,020, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 13,021. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, quote, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, end quote. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll now ask Chris G to please read the 12 steps. Chris, please go ahead. Hi, everybody. This is Chris G in Connecticut, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thanks for letting me be of service and have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Chris. I'll now ask Leslie W. to please read the 12 steps. I mean, <laughs> the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Kay. Thank you. This is Leslie W., Recover Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are the trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has one but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems with money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service groups or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, OA has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Leslie. All right, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass, then press star one to remute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book we are in the chapter, More About Alcoholism. We are on page 32, starting with the second paragraph, A Man of 30. We're going to read that one paragraph only. And I'm now going to ask Ginger C. to please get us started. Ginger, please go ahead. Great. Thanks so much for your service, Katie. Ginger C., recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and he quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but he saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another job. 
An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic had, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly, and he was dead within four years. A very powerful story this morning to begin with, and it just so clearly, this chapter so clearly shows us that the real problem is back on 23, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. You know, these thoughts come into my head, but even before this man of 30 and that thought appeared, there's this part that's really popping out at me, and it says he remained bone dry, you know, and and where was his connection to a power? And to me, even before that thought enters my head, where did I disconnect from that power that keeps me safe and protected? Where did I stop thinking about God, trying to perform his work well, and staying close? Because to me, that's when relapse absolutely begins, is when I have no power between me and the food that absolutely will get back into my mouth because it's the only thing that keeps me safe and protected. So this thinking mind of mine, though, these thoughts come in, and I'm not responsible for the first thought, but if I'm in a recovered state of mind and body, when that thought enters like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have that chocolate-covered potato chip? I mean, who even thought about that? But, you know, I've never had one, and I saw them recently in a store. And so maybe that thought enters my mind, but then my next thought is, well, you're pretty insane. You better be calling your sponsor or hitting your knees on the floor right here, right now, and asking God for help. And that's what's just so insane with this disease and, and this relapse cycle, because we know we go to hell. We know we take that first bite. Not only do we go to hell, but will we even get back from hell? All bets are off. It's only God's grace when that window rolls down, that opportunity of sobriety. So I have this thinking mind of mine that's always out to get me. It's filling me with lies, and I believe the lie. But if I have that power and I'm recovered, I no longer see food as a solution, an option. That door has been shut, sealed tight. And I think this is what's so important with this first step, this conceding to my innermost self, because for 20 years I would come into OA because I was feeling some pain. I was seeing some weight gain. I didn't like it. But was I done? Was I out of ideas? No, absolutely not. And when life would build these human emotions that Harlan so beautifully talks about, I was eating. I was absolutely going to eat because I had a lot of years in another program with a lot of pride and ego, and I wasn't going to trade in that coin. 
But I needed an effect and I needed it at once because I couldn't stand another second in I'm my pleased. skin. So thank God again to take that first step fully and completely. So when thoughts come, hopefully I get that next thought. Oh, I better get some help. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger. Okay, before I take um, names, I just want to let everyone know where we are. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 32, starting with the second paragraph, A Man of 30. We read that one paragraph only. So if you've not shared in the past few days, I'd um, be happy to take your name. Go ahead. Harlan G. Janice P. Reva P. Nessa. Reva. Barbara. Barbara. Melissa. Okay, that's it. Hang on one second. Wait, I didn't even write down half the names. Hang on, let me just take a breath and count. All right, I've got Harlan G, Janice P M, Nessa R, Reva P, Barbara E, Melissa C. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hey, that's six. All right, let's get going. Harlan, please go ahead. Thank you, Katie, and thank you to Gabriella for loaning us your mom this morning. Thank you for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. One of the books that is instrumental in the formation of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is Richard Peabody's The Common Sense of Drinking. And in The Common Sense of Drinking, this parable appears. Bill just kind of changed a few of the details. Let's see what we have here. The original working title of this chapter in the big book was More Truth About Alcoholism, but the Akron groups were uncomfortable with that word truth because they felt it made us sound like experts on alcoholism, and we are not. So Bill yielded to that and called the chapter More About Alcoholism. This paragraph really symbolizes what he was going for here. Let's take a look at it. It says here he was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. It doesn't say he was thirsty in the morning and quieted himself with more drinks. He was nervous and hence the liquor. And it says here, once he started, he had no control whatever. Why is that? Because of the physical allergy. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop, dry drunk, an exceptional man. He remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at 55. How many of us have dieted successfully? I've done it. Dieted successfully for periods of time. And then came the vacation, then came the cruise, then came the wedding or the special event of some kind, the bar mitzvah, whatever it is, or the funeral. And here's what happened. He fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety, his weight loss, and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Now, what are some of the most important factors that Peabody inserts into his writing that Bill Wilson uh, <clears throat> excuse me, wanted in this book? This illness is permanent, progressive, and fatal. It is permanent. It does not go away. 
we have a daily reprieve contingent upon our spiritual condition. The disease gets worse over time. He goes to several trips to the hospital. So he's getting awakened that there's a problem here. And all of a sudden, he gets out. He has every means of solving his problem, yet he's dead within four years. The disease is fatal. The only thing we have to do is work the steps and get a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. What is the lesson here? It is permanent. It is progressive. It is fatal. We need to work the steps. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Harlan G. Okay, next up we'll have Janice P.M. followed by Nessa R. Janice, please go ahead. Well, good morning to you, Katie G. This is Janice P.M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, yeah, Harlan. <laughs> My goodness, I don't want to repeat everything he said. Uh, however, I'm going to add one different word. Not that it's the right word, but... Uh, you know, this disease that we have to know, which I never knew, was permanent, progressive, In the next word I would put is patient. Oh, is my disease patient. You know, I see so many similarities here with this man of 30 and myself. In the morning, yeah, I would be restless and irritable. And what would be my fix? Something with sugar and flour in it, quick fix quick fix uh, because I was restless, irritable, and discontented. That's the kind of eater I was. Um, So I I found it necessary. It was necessary towards, it was always necessary to have a few bites or one bite. Um, But my goal was that I had to lose weight. See, there's there's the first mistruth is um, that that was my problem that I had to lose weight. Um, But unfortunately, I found out that I had no control like him, like this man of 30, once I started. No control. But I didn't know about powerlessness. I mean, you know, I just tried here like he did, finding all kinds of ways. I even decided, well, you know what? I'm not going to touch another bite. Promises, promises. And I believed that. There's a little word in believe. We spell it B-E-L-I-E-V-E. So I believed a lie, L-I-E, all my life. But today, thank God, I believe in a power that can, you know, um, give me recovery for one day. So what I believe, I will achieve. And um, thank you, God, from the, of course, going through the steps. But this, like this man, I identify so much with the battle. It's a battle in my mind. Not so much my body. Because once I stop eating, there's no battle. But the mind is the battle for me. The control of my mind is so fierce that, you know, I'm always, I was always struggling in the mind to find a conclusion, to find an answer. Um, so, um, and, and I try to manage my life and the lesson that I've learned here. Oh, I've been, I've been abstinent, you know, for a year, blah, blah, blah. But then I wasn't recovered. 
And that's what happens. You know, a lot of people I see are abstinent. Kind of abstinent. Yeah, thank you, honey. Thanks. Um, but if I'm able to stop for a spell, it, it, you know, I would, I would start again. Problem, chronic, chronic compulsive overeaters, my disease is still patient. And the insidiousness of the insanity. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Janice P.M. We'll now have Nessa R. followed by Riva P. Nessa, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Nessa R., recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, it definitely is a disease of the mind. Um, and I, uh, I want to take a little bit of a different spin on it. Um, and I love the story of the man of 30 uh, and also the story of Fred, the last story um, at the end of this chapter, because these two people seem to have the life I wanted to have. Certainly, they had a successful business career and lots of money, you know, and so what reason did they have to drink? I mean, their lives were perfect. Why were they drinking? You know, I, um, I was full of smoke screens, you know, because I didn't have, and I still don't, but uh, it's different now because I'm recovered, but I didn't have the perfect life. I didn't have the perfect career, a thriving career. I didn't have a lot of money. You know, things were not turning out the way I wanted them with just about everything around me. And I used that as a smoke screen for my eating. You know, if you had my life, you would eat too. If your kids bickered like mine do, you know, you'd eat too. If you had no money, like I don't have any money, you would eat too. If my professional career was going nowhere, you know, you, you know, you, you would eat too. Uh, and on and on and on and on and on. All these justifications and rationalizations and excuses, because that's what they were, excuses, to continue eating and doing nothing about it. Um, and, you know, what these stories show me is that it is not the circumstances that make me eat. The reason I eat and the reason I uh, return back to eating after I've been on a diet and I've been abstaining for a while is not because I don't have any money or because, you know, my kids don't take out the garbage or my house is small. The reason I do this is because I am a compulsive overeater. I have an allergy of the body, which ensures I'm unable to stop when I do start eating. And I have an obsession of the mind that pushes me, forces me, coerces me, compels me to start eating once I have stopped. Uh, and so because the circumstances in my life are not what cause my compulsive overeating, they're also not what's going to spur my recovery therefrom. Just like these men, I mean, despite of their seemingly perfect circumstances, they drank. And so if I had a lot of money and if I had, you know, angelic kids to get along and do their chores without being asked, and if I had a huge house with three kitchens and 20 bathrooms, I would still be a compulsive overeater. And if I don't put down the food and I don't work these steps, no matter what perfect and ideal circumstances I would have, I would weigh 400 pounds. And so I need to stop fooling myself but it is the circumstances that make me eat, and it's the circumstances that's going to uh, make me not eat, because that is false. And these stories are just examples of that. You know, if I want to stop eating, thank you. If I want to stop eating, I gotta put down the food entirely. I gotta work these steps. 
uh, as outlining the big book so that I can recover and no longer have, you know, the, uh, the monkey on my back. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. We'll now have Reva P. followed by Barbara E. Reva P., please go ahead. Reva, press star one to unmute your phone. I'm not hearing you. Okay. Reva, are you there? Reva, please press star one. Okay, we'll come back to Reva. Barbara E., could you please go ahead? Absolutely. I was sitting in the bullpen just waiting to be called on. This is such an important paragraph for me. And by the way, thank you for all participating in my recovery. I was like that man of 30. I 20, I could diet for the right reason, the right occasion, like a kamikaze pilot. I would lose all my weight. So it would take me six months, a year, a year and a half to lose it. But I would remain abstinent, eating, even restricting. But immediately following the occasion, immediately, I'd say, that's it. I'm done. I'm USDA normal prime even. I can go back and eat like a normal person. And you know the end of that story. I failed over and over and over, why, like this man, if I understood it correctly, I had totally failed to enlarge my spiritual life. I knew about dieting. I had a PhD in dieting, but I didn't realize that there was so much that I needed to know. And my pride made me totally artificial. I was afraid to ask you for help. Humility today in 2019 makes me real and beginning to say, I don't know. Help me. What can I do? I wanted to manipulate people to fit my requirements. But I realized that when I felt anxious about whether this program could possibly work for me, it was the mark of my spiritual insecurity. And the more I tried to avoid suffering by self-medicating with food, the more I suffered. And I soon found more and more insignificant events begin to torture me in proportion to my fear of being desert. I really believe that our disease is a public health problem and people with eating disorders are sick and worthy of being helped as much as the alcoholic or narcotic user. We are no longer alone. So I have to ask myself every day, what steps am I working? Do I pray and meditate? Am I maintaining my food plan? Do I rely on my higher power? Do I ask for help? Do I make those phone calls? Do I remain with an attitude of gratitude and reach out and help others? I have to be a sponsor. I have to be a sponsee. I have to remain abstinent. But, ah, there's my timer. But it's all a beautiful orchestra 
and each one of us are instruments putting together this orchestra that we create every single morning. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And before we have you, Melissa, I just want to call again on Reva P. Reva P., are you available? Yes. Can you hear me now? I can hear you loud and clear. Great to hear you, Reva. Go ahead. (laughs) Hi, this is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, This paragraph for me um, explains to me that if I'm a real compulsive overeater and I have the ism, which means I don't just have a food allergy problem, but I have an obsession of the mind, that abstinence only is not going to work. And I can be disciplined, and I can make up my mind, and I can be bone dry for years and years and years. But at some point, um, the second part of the disease, that mental twist, is going to kick in sooner or later and tell me, I can have this now. It's not going to hurt me this time. And I'm going to be um, in the same shape as this man after he picked up. Um, So this really reminds me that if I am a real compulsive overeater, I need two things. I need to be abstinent, and I need a power, and I have to work the steps to access that power. Um, And I love how it talks about he had this belief, um, which reminds me I have a lot of false beliefs, and I don't even know that they're false um, until I get abstinent and start doing the step work, and I start uncovering all those false beliefs that drive me back. Um, The other thing this paragraph made me think about is, you know, thinking that I'm finished, that I'm abstinent X number of years, or I've worked the steps all the way through, and I'm finished. I'm good to go. I can just sort of take charge of my life now. And it's such a great reminder that as the disease progresses, um, my recovery needs to progress to match um, the disease. And I'm never finished. And no matter how many times I've done the steps, you know, I'm going to be doing them, God willing, the rest of my life. Because the spiritual fitness is something that needs to continue growing um, as as the disease grows. So just a great reminder never finished, never graduated. Um, And the the larger, uh, more serious nature of my disease is the stuff that goes on in my mind, that ism part of of the addiction. Um, And that's what I need to work the rest of the steps for. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Okay, so we'll now call on Melissa C. And then we will take another round of names. Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much for your service this morning. Good morning. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, this story um, really grabs me. Like, when I first read it, um, I knew it was me. Like, I have a very parallel experience to this man of 30. And, um, you know, I was a young woman in my early 20s. And, like him, um, I knew that my addiction, my compulsion, the consequences were getting in the way of me getting what I wanted. And I guess I still had 
some more control, you know, enough at that point. Maybe my disease hadn't progressed, you know, uh, to where it is now. And I was able to put down the food because I learned about the allergy. I went to a, a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. I went to many. Um, I never did the steps, but I but I grabbed the idea that um, I can't eat sugar. And, and I was able to use that information, and I remained abstinent for a number of years. And like him, I achieved the things that I wanted. You know, I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to meet a man. That was like my goal. And, and I knew I couldn't in, in, in the body that I had and the way that I was eating. And so that was my goal, and I wanted to get a good job. And I got both those things. And then, you know, I've shared this before on my honeymoon I felt prey to the belief that I was normal now, that I could do what normal, you know, newly married people did, and I took something on my honeymoon. And, you know, um, my disease had been progressing that whole time that I was abstinent, that whole time it was getting stronger and stronger. And so while I didn't really try to stop eating compulsively on the honeymoon, I was feeling already the consequences by the time the honeymoon ended. I was not um, a loving, newly married woman. I was like a slave to the buffet. That's how I spent my honeymoon. But what really um, blew my mind was that when I came home, I could not get back on the plan, this, this food plan that had served me so well. And and I tried over and over and over again, but the disease had had been growing that whole time. And I kept needing to make compromises and excuses why it was okay. You know, it's okay that I put on a little bit of weight. I'm I'm newly married. I'm I'm happy. You know, like those were some of the crazy lies I said. And I think if it, if my disease were not sugar, if it were alcohol, I would be dead. I'm lucky that I'm not. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to have this meeting. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, if you're just joining us or you've forgotten, um, we are on page 32 in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are reading um, the second paragraph, A Man of 30. We're just reading that one, reading and commenting on that one paragraph only. So if you haven't shared in a couple of days, um, go ahead and give me your first name. Chuck S. Tina S. Chuck, hang on one second. So the people I've heard are Chuck and Tina S., but there was another person who said her name twice. It's a woman. I said it once, Julie E.B. Okay. Julie E.B. Hang on. Before anybody else, um, I got your rust. There is a woman... Um, who said her name a couple of times. Can you say your name again? Oh, I'm sorry. Rita S. Oh, there you are, Rita. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, uh, anyone else? We got room for one more? Elaine T. Elaine T. All right, that's a great next lineup. So I got Chuck, but I need the first initial of your last name. Tina S. Julie it's E. K. Russ M. Thanks, Chuck K. Rita S. Um, so that was Julie E.B., Russ M., Rita S., and Elaine T. So if you're not Chuck K., let's everyone mute, and we'll go from here. Good morning, Chuck. 
Hey, good morning, everybody, and thank you for your service. This is Chuck Kay from Georgia, and I was thinking about how important it is for me to look at this first 164 pages as a textbook, just like I did in high school and college. And um, the reason that's important is because I want to ask why. I want to have an understanding of everything that I do. And I think that is my, that comes from my wanting to control everything, my character defect of wanting to be in charge and being the actor and everybody else doing exactly what I want them to do, including myself. And I was speaking to a friend yesterday who, who felt like they had the power. They did not want to do what their sponsor was telling them to do. They didn't understand why. And they were calling other people within the group. Uh, I think what they were doing was trying to get permission not to do what they were asked to do. And um, I'm reminded of page 96. You know, I've been directed to that page before. But then when I think about it later on, how similar am I to, how similar can I be to that person? Well, I want to know the why behind the what I'm doing. And then I'm reminded that I have to just do the program. When I first came into program, I was recovering, and I knew that I didn't need to change anything. And that's still, that's still true today. So when I look at this paragraph, I have to remember, just like it was said earlier today, I have to do this every day. This is not something that I get to stop doing. If I choose to stop doing it, then I'm choosing to get back into the food, and I'm choosing to kill myself. So I just have to remember that these stories in the book, um, these parables, all of these things I'm being told came from a hundred people who were probably a whole lot sicker in their disease than I got in mine, but they recovered and this is exactly precisely how they did it. And so if I want what they have, then I have to do this too. And I have to stop asking why I have to do it. I just have to do it. If I have diabetes, I don't have to ask why I got to take insulin. I just do it. This isn't any different. So I'm real, I'm real happy to be on this group. I'm, I'm proud that I am, and I want to thank everybody for being a part of my recovery. Thank you. Thanks, Chuck K. We'll now have Tina S. followed by Julie E. B. Tina, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Katie. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Thanks for your service. Wow, what a great meeting this morning. So grateful to be on the line. And, you know, I just keep shaking my head yes when everybody's sharing because I just um, had the same experience as everyone else. You know, you know, the good news is there is a solution. And uh, last night I was at a face-to-face meeting and we were talking about logic and and reason and how it's good as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. And that's what I get from this paragraph. You know, once that is exhausted, you know, because I'm 
thank you, God, out of management position. By step two, I would hope that the power greater than myself gives me a life through all my wildest dreams through the process of the 12 steps and a transformation. And, you know, and I, too, was on board. I was a great dieter until I wasn't. When that end result was here, you know, that wedding, that funeral, that party, you know, uh, whatever it was that I wanted to achieve a certain weight to look so good in my vanity, you know, once that was here and over with, then, you know, maybe, you know, I forgot, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm all on that page with 27, you know, my disease centers in my mind, you know, I forgot, you know, the week ago, the month ago, or even the year ago, you know, I forgot, you know, that my experience has proven over and over to me that I am not a normal eater, that once I put this stuff in my body, I'm off to the races, you know, so I forget that. And so once the goal is met, well, maybe this time it'll be different. Well, I have never had that experience. And uh, some people who do are not of the alcoholic or uh, obsessive eater that I am then. But what I do know is that there is a solution, and I have a way of life today that gives me a life beyond my wildest dreams because I don't have to pick up the, the food. I don't have to be in the hill. And I love that it was also talked about that what he talks about at the end, the last sentence is he went to pieces quickly and was dead in four years. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Next, we'll have Julie E.B., followed by Russ M. Julie, please go ahead. This is Julie E.B., gratefully recovered in Colorado uh, today. Um, and thank you for everyone that does service on the line. <laughs> so often in Colorado, I listen to this meeting uh, rather than share on it. But I'm so grateful. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, a little bit of anxious, a little bit of nerves. You know, when I was in the food I, uh, and doing these sprees, I, I had no idea what my feelings were. And one of the attempts I made was to figure out, oh, what are my feelings right before I eat? And if I could just decode, I have so many people I call, oh, I don't know why I had this slip, this relapse. Uh, I used to do, go down that road and I say, well, welcome. Uh, the reason why for me is that I'm a compulsive overeater. And that's what I do. Uh, that's what I do with feelings. That's what I do with uncertainty. Um, and the other thing I do is I switch. I switch from food to something else. Um, and here, instead, depending on the alcohol, this person went to depending on being a successful businessman and accomplishment and self-will run riot. Yeah, we can apply our self-will to pleasing our families or um, looking well on the outside. How many 10 steps do I take a day, a week, a month uh, and give around my work because uh, pleasing other people or being perfect, which is a form of self-loathing, as the great AA talk on emotional sobriety shares, um, <laughs> how many vain attempts do I make to depend on things other than my higher power <laughs> for care and protection? Um, this is me, so once I don't have anything else to do, why not? Because there is no me. There is no uh, sense of myself as a person who has usefulness, joyous, happy, free in the world. Those sprees were a trial, and that disease kept progressing. Um, but for me um, today, it's a beautiful thing to know that I don't have to sit scratching my head, as someone said earlier about why. 
or figure out which emotion was generating. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm bored, or I had no emotion. Well, I had no emotion for a long time. It's not a puzzle to figure out. It's an action plan. And if I take these actions one minute at a time, one hour at a time, including looking for my higher power by reaching out and other things, um, I have hope. So I hope today, if you're uh, suffering in this disease, you're the reason that um, I'm on this meeting today. And if you're suffering in this disease, I hope you have hope as you hear these experiences. And I hope you can reach out. Because if you're thinking, no one understands my little bit of anxiety. Nobody understands the big anxiety I have or whatever I'm going through in life. You'll probably find someone among us who both understands, cares, and can share with you a simple program of action. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Julie E.B. Next up, Russ M., followed by Rita S. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, fellas. Russ M., recovered compulsive overeater outside of Philly. So when I read this paragraph, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I battled it up until about 18, 19, about 17, 18 years old, you know, uh, eating and I, you know, I couldn't put my finger on it. Right. So I got this ingenious idea that I'm going to become a professional wrestler at five, seven and about 180 pounds. Right. It's going to work out real well for me during that time, about four and a half years, I stayed tight. I had, I was on a diet and I kept, I kept my eating regimen, my working out regimen, everything I would say, uh, to do what I needed to do, you know, it was ba- control, self-will, willpower, all that jazz. I get hurt, and uh, I had to concede that I had to be a regular Jamoke. I got to be a regular guy. I'm not special. That I'm gonna have to work. I can't live my dream. And before you know it, stuff started piling up on me, and I'm, I, I was, I was off to the races. And I just dealt with life with food. You know, it was so bad that. Maybe seven, eight years after we were married, you know, we were looking at the at the wedding video, and I said, "Who the hell is that guy?" It's a totally different person, totally different person, and it wasn't just about the weight; it was the joy that I had in my heart that I didn't have anymore. You know, the disease robbed me of everything, and you know, a lot of it was me. I mean, I can't always just blame the disease, but a lot of it was me. But you know what? I'm glad that I went on binges throughout my life. I'm glad that I had no control over my finances or my relationships or just life in general. I'm, I'm glad that I tried to play God because I wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. I wouldn't be here. And that's the, one of the greatest lessons in my life is that I'm a compulsive overeater and I hit the bottom and I, I had the blessing of to be and a privilege of be able to work these these steps and get my life back together, be restored to relate with a relationship with God, like for real, not on the surface, but for real. And um, you know, it's one of the greatest things ever happened to me. All the, all this craziness got me here, and it's beautiful. So, I thank you for your service. Thank you for everything. I love you guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Russ. You too. All right. Next up, we'll have Rita S. followed by Elaine T. Rita, please go ahead. Hi, this is Rita S. from Florida, and I'm so happy to be on this line. Uh, and you can say I'm recovered today. 
Um, I was thinking about that guy, you know, that I knew a friend of mine that actually did what that guy did, and he he, he passed away, and he was 60 years old. But I, too, um, growing up, uh, I fought that disease and fought this disease. I was 109 pounds through high school, through college, after two children. And my story is, is long, but I'll tell you briefly. I mean, someone gave me permission to eat. I never really had uh, God in my life to go to. I had him, but he was in a church, and I did the whole, just sat there and took up space for an hour. And there was no connection. And uh, I'm grateful today that I have a connection. But I um, I did everything. I mean, I walked. I, I did everything to keep the weight and the disease at arm's length. I had a son that was severely uh, damaged and and challenged when I was a young girl in 23, and I remember I was just like Bill W. He didn't jump out the window. Of course, maybe then you couldn't. I don't know. Maybe then you could, but I didn't. I left Children's Hospital in Boston, went downstairs, sat at the days when you sat at those soda fountains, and ordered a banana split. And I remember my mom looking at me saying, Rita, how can you eat? If someone dropped dead in front of you, the first thing you think about is eating. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe they have the wrong diagnosis. Maybe tomorrow it's going to be a different story. It'll be another day. Why not just, but again, I didn't have the physical part of it. So I had no clue that today I would say I'm a compulsive overeater and I know it. Oh, I know it without every ounce of fiber that once that obsession gets in my head and I think that I am normal, and I don't ask God to come in between me and the food because the food will become in between myself and God. It will get me every single time if I touch that first bite. I I could kill myself, actually, because I am diabetic. And right now, because of um, being abstinent, I no longer take insulin. I no longer take two or three of the pills that the doctor kept giving me, uh, just he thought I was hopeless, too, when I said, well, I'm really going to get serious. I have. He didn't believe me. I don't know if I believed me most of the time. But for today, I can say I'm almost off all medication, happy, joyous, and free. And are there problems in my life today? Yes, there are. Everybody has them. We're going to have them. I might have a good day today. I don't know. I'm facing things with a sick husband and children and everything else. But I don't have fears anymore because... I have a 12 program that helps me to handle this. So for today, I am so grateful to share my happiness, my joy, and my freedom from this disease for today. Thank you. Thank you, Rita S. We'll now have Elaine T. Elaine, please go ahead. Elaine T. Press star one to unmute your phone. There you are. Go ahead. Yep. Hi, I'm Elaine T. in Florida, um, and I'm uh, recovered, and um, I'm very nervous. I never share because I get scared sharing, and I spoke with someone yesterday, and they gave me a good talking to, and I thank you. Um, I've been uh, abstinent for the last I'd say four years, and it's through listening to Vision for You 
And I've been on here since the very beginning, actually, and before the beginning when we had another meeting in the morning. Um, but um, I, um, I've, I've released 135 pounds, and the reason I'm saying that is all I did to get here, all I did, all I did with my higher power. Um, I need to take action every single day. I can't live on yesterday's actions. I can't live on yesterday's vision for you. I can't listen. I can't, you know, live today on yesterday's calling my sponsor. I have to do that today. I have to wake up in the morning and listen to vision for you, say my prayers, you know, do what I need to do, work these steps every single day if I'm going to be able to live. Um, I have the gift of desperation every day. I have to have that gift of desperation, that desire to stop because I've gone out. Why? Because my ego tells me I can do this on my own. So like many of the people in this big book, I've been in and out, in and out. And I'm in it to stay one day at a time. And um, I can't let my ego get in the way. Um, and, and I've done it so many times. And I, I don't think I'm that type of a person that lives by the ego. I, yeah, right. But it gets in the way. The ego is me, I. And I have to turn that into God. I have to turn towards God. You know, I say to people I sponsor, don't forget Food is not a treat or comfort. We turn to God. That applies to me. So if I, if I don't work these steps, if I don't work this program, what it tells me to do, what this big book, this big book, I always look for a, a book for instructions in life. Here it is in front of me. These are my instructions to live. And I want to thank you all for being here every single morning for your faithfulness to this program. And um, I'll pass. Thank you, Elaine T. Okay, we have time for one, maybe minute, minute and a half share. Who would like to do that? Darian K. Darian, please go ahead. And Terry, I apologize. Um, hopefully, you can stay on for the second meeting. Darian, please go ahead. About a minute fifty. Thank you. Hi, Katie, my friend. This is Darian K. In the Berkshires of Massachusetts, and super grateful. Recovered compulsive overeater just want to share that you know this paragraph talks about um, the deadly disease and you know I really believe that food addiction and um, compulsive overeating is a slow death so it's slow death it doesn't it doesn't really take us out quickly and um, so you know I need to remember that and um, I need to know my heart of hearts that I don't want that slow death, um, you know, whether it be physical or emotional, because really it robbed me so much of, you know, many things in my childhood and and um, and just a lot. So, um, you know, I spoke to somebody yesterday and, um, you know, she had turned to the food and I said, you know, the most natural thing we do is eat. The most natural thing we do is pick up the food. It is unnatural to not eat and to not um, make that decision to um, rely on 
the food to, you know, comfort us, whatever. And so I have to do that today. I have to make that decision to turn my life and my will over to my higher power and to not eat just for this I'm day. And so I am super grateful um, for all of you being here. And thank you and have a lovely day. I pass. Thank you, Darian. And thanks to everyone who shared today. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. The share ID for today, Wednesday, June 11th, 2019, is 12,996. That's 12996. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Carmela G. please read a vision for you? Carmela. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.